Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Survival Podcast. Uh, today is Monday, February the 20th, 2023. It's President's Day, so I don't know how that will affect our live streaming uh, audience as far as how many will show up. I'm expecting a lighter than usual attendance day because I think most of you guys, when you're watching my live streams or like listening to it passively with your headphones at a reasonable volume, uh, are probably at work. So when you're not at work and I do a live stream, I just expect the attendance to be a little lighter. We shall see. Uh, Tom says, what's the holiday? Yeah, bro, I understand. I know. I Right now, I want to be outside working. And I'm even going to show you the project that I did this weekend. I got one more garden bed left to finish up. And I'm going to be going out to do that myself as soon as this stream ends. But I got a lot to talk to you guys about today. Got a good, diverse listener question and feedback multi-topic show. We'll have our Twitter poll results and our boostograms from last week, like we normally do. I did a drip irrigation install. If you listen to me talk about this on the audio, it'll make sense, but it'll make more sense if you come look this video up. But you don't have to, because when I'm totally done, I'm going to do a complete walkthrough video about five minutes long on this irrigation system I set up, which is not my invention, but I maybe tweaked it a little jack, a little jack tweaking to it to do it for my own purposes and it came out pretty cool and it works just perfect and slick and it's it's fully semi-automated what does that mean you'll see when i when i talk about it uh a listener reports on an almost uh, fire disaster and the lessons from it weeds in your compost what's the risk uh ai is coming for mid-level white collar jobs i'll tell you why that makes actually perfect sense it, it, it there there's there's some things about automation that I think people don't really understand what the target for automation is now versus, let's say, the target automation had in the past. The target automation had in the past was low-skilled labor. That is not what AI targets. AI targets expensive labor, and there's a reason for it. We'll talk about that. We had a cool way to combine feeding biochar and fodder to livestock from a listener. I thought this was really cool. Never would have thought of it. Uh, so I like that. Uh, how Bitcoin and Lightning would affect returns uh, versus a credit card with online purchases. Remote work is costing New York City $12 billion, billion a year uh, just from people not being there. And we'll talk about it. There's a, some stuff all kind of rolling together today. When you first hear these topics, you might think these are all divergent topics. I, I think that. When you hear how it all fits together, you're like, oh, I see what Jack did there, even though it was all from you guys. And then I missed a, sh I missed a, set, a segment last week on Monday about these urban revitalization and like Agenda 2030 cities like Bentonville, Arkansas, being a trap for millennials and younger folks specifically. Uh, and I think it's a good thing I missed it because now it fits into this little puzzle that I put together for you guys. And then I don't have a lot of last-minute additions to the podcast, guys. I, I really don't, because I don't do a lot of politics and news. But a sitting member of Congress just tweeted out a call for a national divorce, i.e. 
uh, Civil War 2.0, maybe, uh, or something like that. But this is uh, this is going to be an interesting little discussion. I think the person doing it is virtue signaling because that's what this person does. Um, many of you probably love her. I don't, but I think it's still interesting. And so we'll talk about how it fits all this other stuff we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Number one, uh, grow your own super strains of plants with Alan Booker's methodology. This is available from Paul Wheaton. I keep talking about this, and it's probably going to be the last time I bring this one around because Paul has something else he wants me to start promoting for him starting this week. Uh, but I wanted to do this one one more time. It'll still be available, but I won't be pushing it you know, as a weekly sponsor segment. But Alan Booker blew me away when I listened to this two-hour-plus seminar on epigenetics and how to save your seeds the right way, how to develop the soil relationships into the genetics of the seed. I mean, I, I don't even understand how no one else has ever said this before, now that I understand how it works. And for 10 bucks, it is just one of the best deals in getting this information that you could possibly have. And there's a link in the video notes, and there'll be a link in the audio notes as well. Next up today, knifegifts.com. Hey, check out that cool M63 flipper right there. You can make that knife. You can build that knife yourself. There's so many options with knifekits.com, and anybody can do it. Even me. And these guys have been a sponsor of this show since 2010. That's 13 years they've stood behind us and supported us and the work that we do. I have never had a complaint about KnifeKits.com. Those are leather washers, those that are watching the screen right there. But there is just an extensive array of options for building knives at KnifeKits.com. If you've never done it, Really think about, you know, giving it a shot and consider uh, maybe working, learning to build knives using a knife kit from knifekit.com today. All right. With that, let's uh, bring the screen back up real quick. My reminder is always I'll never contact you for any personal information via private chat or anything like that ever. And if you see a comment in my videos or some anywhere online, just because my logo's there does not mean it's me. Public service announcement knocked out. Let's start off with our Twitter poll results from last week. These are starting to get really interesting uh, and a lot of engagement. I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback on them. And like this, this one right here, I did it over the weekend. It got 1,122 votes. When I first started doing this a few weeks ago, these things would get like 200 votes. I said in this one, if you could eliminate one alphabet agency, which one would it be? Assume it will be replaced by nothing. Comment with your thoughts as to why as well. And a lot of people, 78 comments. But 74.9% said they would get rid of the IRS. The DEA got 2.6. FBI got 8.8. And ATF got 13.7. So the IRS was the big winner there. I guess big winner loser. And I would tend to agree. And I think the reason the IRS won uh, the loser's battle is because they affect the most people. If we start looking at actual evil done, uh, FBI, DEA, ATF, and all that stuff there, that ain't so great, especially recently. But what I'm going to do, there were some other alphabet agencies people brought up in the comments. I'm going to take the next four and do a poll this week with them. And then next week we'll have a runoff election between the two winners, the two winners of the losers. 
Uh, anyway, I liked the discussion that sp- sparked as well because it makes you think. Like the IRS is the funding arm for all of them is what some people said. But let me tell you something about the DEA and the ATF. They're both self-funding. They steal from the people they arrest in order to pay for their own stuff. So they're both actually tax in tax enforcement agencies. In fact, the ATF's website says that they are a tax enforcement agency. It's interesting. Uh, next, which of these backyard livestock do you think is the best choice for the most people? Comment with why as well if you want to. Chickens, 79.5%. Ducks, 3.4%. Rabbits, 13.8%. Muscovy ducks, 3.2%. A couple people said, hey, you didn't include quail. I'll contact Elon Musk and tell him to give us more than four poll options, and I'll use more than four poll options when I can. Um, I actually agree with this one a great deal. And I do so because I would straight away go to something that produces eggs, because then you have potential for eggs and meat. You have food without slaughter. Um, so that would put us between chickens, ducks, and the scubby ducks. Chickens have an unlimited amount of information and support systems available to them. Most people eat chicken eggs and, and like chicken and chicken eggs. Um, and they are an excellent compost processing animal. They are a better compost processor than ducks or muscovy ducks. So I agree with that, even though I personally prefer ducks and muscovies myself. That's why I asked for the most people, because for some people, rabbits, or for some people, it would be quail or something else. But for the most people, it's probably chickens. Next, which is your favorite protein? Beef, pork, chicken, or lamb? Beef, one, in a big way, 76.8%. Pork, 7.8%. Chicken, 9.9%. And lamb, a paltry 5.5%. I think the reason lamb didn't do as well is we just don't eat as much of it in the United States as they do in some other parts of the world. I think if it were more available and more cost competitive with beef, and then remember, when you're looking at lamb, you're always looking at grass-fed. With beef, you're looking at mostly CAFO in the general market, right? And I didn't specify that here. Uh, So lamb's going to be a more expensive grass-finished animal in general than CAFO beef. Uh, Recently, I bought Ken Berry uh, a dinner when we were down in Bastrop, Texas together, we went to an amazing steakhouse and we both ended up getting lamb and we were very happy with our decision all in. I still think I actually agree with this beef in general, all things being equal. Uh, what do you think the best alternative investment is? Skill sets, 52% knowledge, 11.8% tools, 3% relationships, 33%. I'm not sure on this one. That's why I asked the question. Um, skill sets and knowledge are different. Knowledge is knowing a thing. Skill is the ability to do a thing. I definitely think the skill set is more useful than just the straight knowledge. So I agree with that. Tools, are, I think, are a great investment, but I think skill sets and relationships are way more important. I don't really know if the right one won here, though, because you can always be in a position where you don't have the skill set, even though you have a lot of them. You can always be in a position where you have the skill set, but maybe you're injured or you can't do it relationships are serious currency in the world of social capital and relationships allow you to reach out and gain knowledge so you can apply them to your skill set. I I think maybe that one should have won. If instead of secession, we had a process to eject states from the union, vote off the island style, which would be the first state you'd get rid of? If you pick another choice, explain in the comments. California, 73%. New York, 11.9%. 
Illinois, 8.8%. I tend to agree there. California seems to be dragging everything down with it right now. Um, another choice, 5.7%. Several people picked out states they didn't like. But I knew this would happen, and it's why I gave the option. There were quite a few people that said things like Texas, and then I would move there. Let me tell you something about the Texas secession movement. Uh, those of you that think, well, after Texas secedes, I'll move there, it probably isn't going to work that way. I'll tell you there is there is some legs. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there is some legs to the uh, to the Texas secession movement, and it is largely um, kind of angled toward, well, if you're here when it happens, but if you're not, well, then we're going to have this little thing called immigration with actually enforced borders. Uh, that's the now don't. But Jack, you're supposed to be an anarchist or whatever. That's not me. That's uh, I don't make the rules for this. I'm telling you the way things are. Anyway, let's read some of our boostergrams from last week. Just a couple from each episode. Biochar on the homestead uh, episode. Ten thousand sats from Scuttlebutt Farm. Jack loved the show. It is worthy of many sats more, but after the sear, I put on a couple thick ribeyes last night for my wife. I owe you so much more. Finally, empty nesters. You may never know how much your cooking tips impact relationships. That's good to hear. I'm guessing he got the, the Wagyu beef tallow, and he seared those steaks with it. Uh, next up, the user says, thank you so much for all the work and research you put into this episode. I can't wait to try making biochar. 2,000 sats. Thank you. Um Joe, Joe, Joe Stradamus, Joe Stradamus, <laughs> that's clever, uh, thousand sets, thanks for putting this together, same episode, the Brocco says, funny story, the feed business working with the rule makers to remove such an effective chemical as biochar to raise sales of their products seems like quite the public-private partnership, I can fix the problem you have, government, especially for monies, the purpose of the system is to do what it does, and I agree. That was also the biochar episode. In the urban and small space homesteading episode with Elsie Pickett, 750 sats from SRP, great talk on small spaces and getting started. Owen Lewis, 672 sats, thanks for the inspiration. Biggest takeaway for me was the mindset of spending small amounts of time each day as opposed to I'll wait until the weekend. This is where I failed in the past. I completely agree. I really think it makes a lot of sense to manage your garden like a hunter-gatherer. A hunter-gatherer goes out and does a little bit every day. And I try to make my whole property function that way. Uh, Brayden, 8,000 sats, great show, and always end up in the garden after a solution show like this. And 1,000 sats from Boating Accident. Am I the only one waiting for the biochar breakout series? That's probably not going to happen, but there will be more shows on biochar, I assure you. TNT Mom, in the episode Listener Questions and Feedback from last week, said 500 sats and says, I still remember the first time I watched Blazing Saddles. That's from our polls. Uh, I just flipped over the handlebars of my scooter, an old skateboard with a handle type, and my dad turned it on. I laughed so hard it hurt. But Men in Tights has a very special place in my heart. Yeah, that was a great Mel Brooks movie. And uh, 500 sats from Top Cone, thanks for presenting the truth, as always, sir. So thank you guys all that sent Boostergrams last week. Uh, this morning, uh, over the last seven days, we were number four on the fountain charts again. So in the top five, we spent most of last week uh, moving between first, I'm sorry, second and third place in the charts. So thank you to everyone that uh, supports us with value for value. And it seems like a lot of you guys are uh, streaming sats rather than boostergramming because our streaming is way up. So thank you so much for that. 
that also might all be attributed to Tom who fixed some stuff that wasn't working right for us. Uh, we're not sure how he did it, but we know that he did it. Anyway, let's, let's go on from there. I want to show you, uh, a couple ways I want to show you this. Um, what my weekend entailed. I have produced drip irrigation and I did it with PVC pipe. Again, you'll see lots of videos about this on YouTube. I think mine might be a little bit more creative in the way that I did it. Uh, and I have these long, uh, you know, right angle beds. They're 12 foot long in the back and eight foot long in the front and they make a perfect right angle. So all in the back distance is 24 feet across the back from one corner to the opposite corner. And uh, that required a little bit of creative layout. And I, I did it with two legs of PVC pipe. And if you're watching the video, you can see that. And real quick here, let me show you how I did this. So what I have is my water lines to each of those beds. They've been there since we built them. And I just finally got around to putting automated or semi-automated irrigation in here. Where that pipe com comes up on the one end of the bed, I plumbed in a mechanical timer. This is a cheap, like, $8 mechanical timer. You turn it, you know, I want it to run for 15 minutes. You turn it to 15 minutes, I'll walk away. Then uh, it comes out of that, splits into the two legs. It goes down the, uh, the bed. So there's two lines that run each bed about one foot in from the side with emitters on both sides every eight inches. And uh, each leg has its own... Uh, control valve as well those valves are how you 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 tighten those up to where you restrict the water flow and that controls how fast the water comes out uh, otherwise it will just blow like a sprinkler and uh, then there's one main valve down at the main line and you can use that to cut it off and do service work and one important thing is everything on the pressure side so from the the adapter that's down here all the way up to both valves on the on the uh, pressure side of the valves is glued uh, I tried dry fitting. I got wet. I don't like it. So I, I changed that policy and uh, that's what I've been doing. But what I wanted to also show you guys is it in operation. Those of you that are here in the video anyway, get to see this. And you can see it's, it's not a conventional drip. It's a little stream of water. It's a perfect low speed little stream of water. And I would call this less drip irrigation and more super soaking. Is what it does. It super soaks the soil like a slow, steady rain. And you can see uh, how well everything is flowing from there. And I'm running two of them simultaneously in the video. And I built a third one after I did this video. And there's four beds. And I can already tell I'll be able to do the fourth one. All four of them can run at the same time. And I'm pretty excited about it. And again, it's fully semi-automated, right? Because I... I, I, it doesn't turn itself on, but it does turn itself off. And you set the exact amount of time that you want uh, when you turn it on. So I don't know. I thought this was cool. If you are wondering, well, how am I going to build one? Here's what I'm going to do. When I get the fourth one installed, I'll do a walkthrough video where I explain everything that I did and why I did it the way I did it. And there was a ton of you guys who reached out and said, hey, I know what you said you're going to do. But if you do this, the water's going to spray everywhere. If you put a 16th inch hole in a piece of PVC pipe and use the pressure that comes from a well or from city water, it's too much. But the magic in this is those swing valves, they're perfect pre pressure regulators in the right circumstance. This is something 
that you you have to know, right? You have to know this if you're going to use a valve for pressure regulation. If you have something like that where the other end is open so it stays low pressure, so in other words, all those little holes let the water out, you can use a valve and you can completely regulate how much pressure actually gets to the holes. If you're pushing pressure to something that's a closed system, let's say an automated um, waterer for chickens, like chicken nipples or something, or little drinking bowls, no matter how much you restrict it, once it fills up, the pressure will come back to the mean. So if you have 80 pounds, 40 pounds, 30 pounds, whatever pressure of water, even with a big restriction, if it's closed on the other end, that you'll have the same amount of pressure on both sides. So it works for stuff like this. There's a question already, too. Um, scrambling. I don't know what the question was. Oh, was nutrient film technique. No, it's not nutrient film. It's irrigation. Uh, but Scrambling says, no, I'm going to toss soil on top of that. Uh, no, I'm not. I am going to put mulch down. I'm going to leave the weed blocker in place. I'm going to use the Curtis Stone technique with a, um, with a uh, weed burner where you have the big round weed burner at the end and you get it really hot and then you melt perfect holes in your, um, your weed blocker and you plant into that hole. So there's going to be mulch on top of the weed block, right? And top water, absolutely top water. Otherwise what you're going to end up with is I believe clogging and you won't be able to see if your emitters are working. So I'm not worried about burying it, putting it under the ground. It goes right where I want it, soaks the bed beautifully and uh, so, yeah, it'll be top water on top of mulch. And uh, this should be one of my best garden years ever because of that adaptation. Again, I will do a full walkthrough of this, but it's definitely something worth checking out. Next up, I want to talk to you about this email. I, I got this email just today from a listener. It sounds like he had a bad day that could have been worse. And I think it was more a scary day uh, than really a, a, a bad day. It, it could have been a bad day. And uh, this goes from Luke, and he says, I just had to call out the I just had to call out the fire department. See attached pictures. The blackened area is about a hundred square foot area in diameter on the ridge top middle of my 40 acres. I just barely managed to get it out myself before it got away from me completely. The fire department had a decent response time, 20 to 30 minutes. That is a decent response time. And guess what? A lot of shit can burn in 20 to 30 minutes. Um when I called them, I was at a point where I was a long way from sure I'd be able to control it. No structures were threatened, but the woods is dense with a lot of overgrowth, and it would have potentially made a wide-ranging fire, fire over difficult terrain. Uh, the only reason I was able to control it is because a breeze sort of swirled around, and I was able to work with it. I wasn't paying a lot of attention. I honestly thought my problem would be getting the old brush pile I was burning started not controlling it. It burned hot. Then caught a cedar tree. Oof, cedar burns hot, man. Uh, then caught a cedar tree, uh, adding to a lot of heat. I was by myself and not prepared to deal with it. I used a flat dirt shovel to put smothering, put it out, smothering the edges. Thankfully, I had my phone and called my wife to call the department. The only reason the fire department was even able to get up here is because I've maintained logging trails for access. The fire guy's tip of the day was to get a gas-powered leaf blower and create a perimeter in the leaf litter. That's an interesting idea. Anyway, so here's hoping a new episode on controlled burns and rural fire control preparedness. While I wait, I'm shopping for a gas backup leaf blower. Yeah, you got to really think before you light anything on fire. Um, even here, ground's wet. We're making biochar. It's the, the kiln's in the fire ring. 
and the garden hose is sitting right there. Um, glad that he kept his head, though, stuck with it, and that's just a heads up, guys. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty important that you have a plan for what to do about this. We've had two fires here that we put out before the fire department got here, and they would have been a lot worse had we not done it. One was a threat to me, yes. Uh, my back neighbor tried to burn the whole place down. Sounds like this guy here, but a lot lot less brains in the way that they did it. It was actually much more risky, because it and it wouldn't have just been me either. It would have been like all the people that live behind me. Like This could have burnt acres and acres and acres. They did it in the middle of summer in the middle of a drought. The other one, these idiots, and I will use the term idiots, were driving down the road shooting freaking uh, rockets uh, out of the windows of their car, like firework skyrockets, set the grass on fire across the street from my house. My house was in no danger. My neighbor's fence is all wood. And so we ended up stringing some hoses together really, really quickly, blocking traffic so nobody got hit by a car. And we put 90% out before the fire department got there. Uh, his entire fence would have went up in smoke had we not done that. So make sure you have a plan for this stuff. All right. Uh, next question I have is from a listener about weeds and compost. And this one in particular, Thistle, said, I have bull thistle. This is from Jason uh, all over my field. I'm literally going by hand and pulling out the florets on the bull thistles before they seed. I'm wondering if there's something I can put in a compost. Or do I need to reuse what I have worked to pull up the plants? They're just leaves. They have no flower or seed yet. So I was just wondering what I can do to be able to reuse them. Uh, Jason, you can just compost them. First of all, if you're composting, um, if we have one of our mods on Twitch get rid of this dude here that's trying to uh, pitch his crap, uh, I'll, I'll ban him later. I would appreciate it if we have one of our, of our mods on Twitch and handle this idiot. Go away, idiot. Anyway, um, when you're dealing with weeds, if you're composting at a high temperature, 140, 160 degrees, you're going to burn up most of your weed seeds anyway. Thanks, Drag Life, for banning his ass. I appreciate you, bro. Uh, anyway, uh, you, you're not really going to have much problem with weed seed anyway. When you're pulling the plant before it even goes to seed, then you have no reason not to use it as compost. And I would definitely probably compost this. And the reason is if you just pull it out and throw it on the ground, 90% of the usable material to build uh, soil with is going to off-gas and just dry up to nothing. Now, in your particular instance, I don't know if this will help you, but I had thistle on this property everywhere when I moved in. There was thistle everywhere. And I'm like, what am I going to do about all this thistle? The first year we were here, we got chickens, ducks, and geese. Let me tell you what geese eat. Thistle. All the thistle to the ground. Uh, once they got big enough to, like, be let out and allowed to free range, they would literally run from one thistle plant to the next and eat it. Now, it was spring, so they were still young. I don't know if they would do it late in the season where it's matured and it's all super spiny and got all the flowers on it and everything. But when, that, when it's young, man... That I can't find thistle here anymore, and it was it was literally everywhere. They simply ate it to death. So that would be another thing that you can do if um, if you're out there and uh, uh, dealing with thistle in particular. Good grazing will always fix it. But as far as composting weeds, I say do it 
unless you're not sure about the temperature of your compost and you're talking about truly invasive stuff. Like we have a plant here. I'm not even sure what the actual name of the plant is, but it's, we call it beggar's lice. It's the stuff like you walk through it. You don't even feel it. You're in, you're wearing shorts in the summertime and you look down and all these little freaking seeds are stuck in your leg hairs. And the first time it ever happens, you like go to rub them off. And that was a mistake because they wind up in there and then you got to pull them off. Uh, again, I don't remember what that plant is called, but it sucks. And so I would not compost that. Pretty much anything else, I'm going to just compost it, and I think we're better off composting it than not. All right, next up, I have got to make sure I don't skip any bullet points this week because this seems out of time for me, but it's not. All right, so today I want to, let's see. AI is coming for white-collar jobs. That's the headline here, and I think this makes sense. Um, to a large degree. And I think it's something people aren't really thinking about. The IBM executive here is saying artificial intelligence is on a rapidly aggressive pace to take over clerical white collar jobs. IBM CEO Avinod Krishna said amid the explosion of language based AI chat GPT, a marketing moment. Krishna called incredible during an interview with financial times. He also forecasted what sort of jobs the tech will likely be displacing. Feels like customer service, human resources, and positions within finance and healthcare could see automation not years from now, but in the current day, according to Krishna. I completely agree, and I'll tell you, this is one of the mistakes people are making with this. People seem to think that if you're well-paid, you have less to fear than someone who's low-paid when it comes to artificial intelligence. It's not true. If you're cheap, I have less incentive to invest to get rid of your salary. But if you are expensive, and when I say expensive, I'm just talking like upper middle income and beyond, not super rich, right? Then I have a lot of incentive to invest in technology to replace you with. The other thing that I, I have a lot of incentive to invest with technology to replace you with is if you're cheap, but I have a lot of you, like customer service people. And how many of you have ever used customer service? Let me know in the chat here if you ever had this experience. You're trying to get something done. You're on this website. It says click here for chat support. So you click chat support. You tell them what your question is. And you're very clear about your problem. And in a couple seconds, what comes back, you've already read it. It's a cut and paste from the FAQ on the website that doesn't actually answer your question, right? How many people out there have that job doing that right now? It's, it's, it's absolutely the case that that kind of thing happens all the time. I almost don't want to try to use chat support anymore because all they're going to do is regurgitate the shit that I've already, I'm always trying to solve my problem first before I deal with a person. So an AI chat bot can do a lot with that. Right. C can handle all of that and probably do a better job than the average idiot who doesn't really want the job that they have. And often, to be fair, that average idiot is probably talking to four or five customers at the same time. And they're talking to people who are often also average idiots. So they're used to somebody asking a question before they've tried to fix it. So the easiest thing to do is throw the FAQ at them. The problem comes when you say, yes, I already know that talking head across the screen. Um, 
I already passed that. Let me explain my actual problem to you, and they can't help you. AI might actually be better at helping people in that situation. That's a pretty low-level gig. And Aaron right here says, it's not just clerical jobs. My programming job gets sped up considerably with chat GPT. So here's how jobs get eliminated by AI without eliminating the job itself. So the job still exists, but the jobs get eliminated. That doesn't say this. Is he double speaking us? No, I'm not. Hear me out. So let's say that I can speed up the work a programmer does. Well, if I've got a big company and I have 20 programmers working all the time, isn't it quite possible that I could use that technology leverage with my programmers and employ five or six programmers instead of 20? In fact, I would probably employ really low-level people and one really high-level person. That's what I would do. And now I've just eliminated, let's say, let's say I keep five of 20. I just eliminated, I haven't eliminated the job. We still have people doing that job, but we have 15 less people doing that job. Now cascade that across everything. And so we used to think of automation eliminating manufacturing jobs. So we have this assembly line. And one guy sits there and puts bolts on all day. And one day, hey, Joe, thanks for giving us 30 years of your life. I'm sorry that you're too old to get another job now, but get out of here. We bought a robot that screws those bolts on. That's what you used to think with automation. And we have pushed that type of automation to, I'm not going to say it's limits, but to an extreme level. Like what can be done with that type of robotic assembly line type work and things like that has been done, right? That, that's that's over. It happened. It's been done. What we haven't really even seen uh, automation start to do is replace people that answer questions, replace people who do accounting, uh, re replace people that make decisions at a human resources level. I I know some of you probably have this job and you get mad at me, but I have a, an extreme disrespect for the general industry that is human resources. I I find most of the people in human resources to be completely unnecessary the operation of the company, other than from a compliance standpoint, which is all bullshit that was created so that you would have a job in the first place. And so that a bunch of companies could continue to build the country of money. So I, that's I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I feel that way. And if you're in human resources and that makes you mad at me, I don't know. Maybe you're really useful to your company. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you the majority of you are not. And it's not that the person's not a good person or a useful human. It's that the job has been created to serve other purposes than the job actually directly serves. If you look at the growth in administrators in healthcare, it's obscene. Look at the growth in doctors between 1960 and 2020. Go find a graph. It's not hard to find. Google Images. And then look at the growth of, of medical administrators. And the medical administrators have grown 100 to 1 compared to the doctors. It's it's 60 to 1 or 100 to 1. Whatever it is, it's huge. It's huge. Kelly says human resources. This time it's personal. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, really, like, so does that mean all those people that are medical administrators are useless? No, but it means the thing they're doing really isn't necessary. It's been created uh, by creating these levels of bureaucracy that have to be complied with. And because it's so specifically consistent, you can take the things that have to be complied with and put them in one end of an algorithm and you can build a robot that's really just software that prints things out and 
you know, they even have somebody sent me today a pretty cool picture. I haven't heard back from yet of where you find this tool, but it's an it's an AI driven uh, image creator that does like artwork. And they sent me this pretty cool picture of this dude with long hair pushing the thing. And it, he, what they did is they put redneck hippie duck farmer, just like my shirt. And, and it created what what looks to me like something somebody would call an NFT and sell. I'm probably people using it to do that right now and claiming it as their own work. If you can do that, and it was very well done, then scanning a medical bill for errors or determining which 10% to lay off, easy. Easy. And so I'm telling you, I know John Pugliano and I have been saying this for a long time. The robots are coming. That's John has a book called that. And they are coming. And they're coming for your jobs. And they're coming a lot harder than any illegal immigrant ever came for your job. I'm, I'm just saying. And this isn't going to go away. And it isn't going to get better. And it is part of kind of where we're making a turn here in the show as to how all of this stuff uh, feeds together. But a little break in the middle before we dig into these other things. I thought this was one of the coolest little tips I've ever been given of how to function stack. So this comes from Michael. He says, sitting here watching the video today on biochar, you talk about feeding it to livestock. Glad you're putting this info out, man. I have been making biochar in a pit I dug for a while now. Something I started doing this past fall is sprouting oats in the char itself. All I do after it's quenched, obviously, Typically the next day, I throw several quarts of seed into the pit. I give it a stir and soak it all up. Once it's sprouted, I feed massive chunks of oat grass biochar mats to my chickens. They love the stuff, and it stretches the feed, and they get biochar in their system. The excess gets spread out, so I don't have to jack around with spreading it out myself in the run. I heard some jerk from Azel talk about function stacking one time, and I guess it's stuck. I didn't even think of that, right? You know, I'm thinking like when we put biochar out in a field, we have to inoculate it and everything. But if you're just making fodder, the seed to grow to the fodder stage, especially things like oats, have all the nutrient and energy it needs in the seed itself. What a badass idea. And I'm wondering where we're going to end up with that. Michael, if you're listening today, I would love it. If you would make a video of this and send it to me, and I will add it to the biochar resources page. I also added something to the resources page today. I said that um, I didn't know of a backyard biochar kiln that could capture the wood vinegar. Somebody found one and sent it to me, and I added that. So that's at the survivalpodcast.com forward slash biochar. I didn't really look into how much work it would be to build this thing yet, but um, – it does appear that it works, and I think that is, uh, I think that that is going to be a really key thing to taking this to the next level, especially from a small scale entrepreneur in a decentralized new business environment. Because if you're not catching the wood vinegar, you're throwing away half of the value of the burn. Actually, you're you're throwing away a third of the value of the burn. And here's what I mean by that. When you do this, there's really three primary outputs because one of them can be fully combusted and become the one I'm going to talk about. So there's really four. There's syngas, but if we fully burn that, then we end up with just the heat. So we have the heat, 
the biochar and the wood vinegar, which we also call liquid smoke. The liquid smoke is so valuable. It is used extensively in Asia for pest mitigation and for uh, they in a highly diluted amount. They spray this stuff on the fields before they plant, and it has an incredible increase of germination rate. So this is one of these things that we just haven't caught on to yet. But I'm telling you, you know, if you can if you can do both of those and you can find even a reasonably modest full on waste stream to make this stuff from. I don't know that you can make a big company out of it, but I don't see any reason somebody couldn't put, you know, a few thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand or more dollars a year in their pocket selling biochar, the wood vinegar. Right. Plus, if they're running like a small market garden with their own production, that's going to sell the product. Because if you're selling your product, and I'm talking about your vegetable products here, and people are seeing what you're producing, and they want to be able to do it too, then you can sell through to your customer that also wants to home garden. Um, and I don't think, and then, you know, if you're, you're making compost, this would be somebody, set up like mine would be ideal for this, honestly, if I wasn't a full-time podcaster. Um, you've got compost, and then you've got, Compost tea is a product, and you could make that fresh for your local customers. But instead of doing that, because remember, compost tea starts to die as soon as we take the uh, the oxygen away from the aeration. You inoculate biochar. Now you're selling basically compost tea in a stable form that has inhabited the biochar that you're selling. I think there's a tremendous opportunity here, and I think that as much as there is an effort to ramp it up as a large-scale enterprise – and that will exist, and it will primarily be in the areas like biosolids and stuff like that, human waste. For industrial purposes, the play in the carbon sequestration phony market game they created. When it comes to the type of thing we're talking about, really high quality, inoculated uh, biochar, pod, uh, compost, and you know, growing your own food with it, growing food for market with it, and selling the byproduct and the co-products. It's really hard to make this work in a centralized manner. It works best in a decentralized manner, which is why I think it was so hated on when it first came out, because one thing the sociopaths of the world are really good at is recognizing threats to their power. And Byron, thank you for the $20 super chat. I really appreciate that. Anybody that wants to kick in, you always can. We do have uh, super chats enabled on YouTube if you want to do that. And you can always also support us with value for value on Fountain FM or, you know, Geyser or what have you. Uh, not Geyser. Uh, what's the other one? I can't think of it. Any of the podcasting 2.0 apps, of course. Anyway, um, I think that's why it was so hated on because they recognize threats to their power. And this is a threat to power because anybody anywhere could do it. Any small farm. And when I say small, 40 acres, 20 acres, 10 acres, five acres has tons of solid waste material, prunings, trimmings, etc., that they can do this with. And every time we do it, every time we do it, we reduce our need for inputs. And there's a kajillion dollar industry providing inputs into the agricultural field. And Tom's right, Breeze. That's that's the one I was struggling for. Breeze, you can tip us on the Breeze wallet as well and listen to our podcast there. Um, on that, uh, Michael asked, can Bitcoin Lightning Networks prevent a business from paying back a dispute with a credit card company? As a business owner, someone buys something for me online with a stolen credit card. The card company gets their money back. 
The card owner, guy with the nameless card, gets his money back. I'm the one out of the money and the product, and that is the case, and that sucks, and I've had it happen uh, a time or three. Fortunately, I sell a non-physical product, so I'm not out expensive inventory when that happens, um, sort of. So what he's saying is if I start taking lightning payments, if I if I implement something like BTP, BTC pay server or something like that, I think lightning payments or Bitcoin payments, do I eliminate chargebacks through a credit card company? Yes, assuming it's not some sort of an integrated thing like Jack Mahler's is doing with Strike where the person pays with a credit card, but you get the Bitcoin. You're still going to have to have a merchant account somewhere in that. There's still going to be some sort of chargeback process. And I'm not fully sure exactly how that tech is working already. So I, I'm not sure how that one would be affected. But if, if you set up where you accept... Bitcoin payments, whether they're on chain or lightning on your website and bill sends you Bitcoin, the negotiation on any return policies between you and bill. There's no third party. That's the point. You don't have a third party in the middle of the transaction. And that's why when people try to crap on the lightning network, and say it's a third party. No, it's not. No, it's not. I have the, the cash. I have final settlement. This requires an extended amount of trust between buyer and seller, though. So the payment is trustless. You pay me in Bitcoin. I have no as soon as I see the transaction posted on the chain. Right. Or if it's a lightning transaction, it's instant anyway. I'm not worried about getting paid. We, we've now gone back to where the, the buyer has to worry about getting the product and not having a third party to solve a dispute. So as a buyer, you have to be more careful uh, who you buy from. As a seller, you have less risk because chargebacks, et cetera, are incredibly expensive. I pay several hundred dollars a year in chargeback fees because some dumbass joins MSB, forgets that they have renewing uh, membership, and then when it renews on PayPal or Strike, instead of saying, hey, Jack, I didn't really want to renew. Can I have my money back? And I just go, here's your money back, because that's what I do. That's instantly what I do. Here's your money back. No problem. Now, instead, they either report it to their credit card company or to PayPal or their bank. And then I get a chargeback on something. And at that point, there's nothing I can do. So not only do you get your money back, I end up usually paying about $20 in chargeback fees on top of your money going back to you for a bunch of bullshit. So I, that's one of the reasons I love getting Bitcoin payments, because that will never happen. If you want your money back from me, you have to ask, and I give it back to you. That, that's how that works. And I think this actually, long term, puts us in a position to do more with some sort of merchant rating system like eBay has or Amazon reviews and something that's a little bit more, oh, I don't know, harder to game. And I still haven't done anything this with this yet. And I keep seeing more and more people talk about it on Twitter, but Noster. Noster, basically, you have a pub key like you do for Bitcoin, and it's to share information. I don't know how it works at all because there's not a website you go to. It's a protocol. But I, I think people are going to be building sites and, and, and graphic interfaces for Noster. And it seems like a great way to handle merchant reviews because 
you you are linked to a train of activity. So if I want to shit all over your business, um, all I have to do is make an account on the Better Business Bureau or anywhere and then just say, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. And he sucks because A, B, C, and D. And there's all kinds of sites to review businesses and things like that. And I've seen it happen to people where, like, they have one mad customer, but that mad customer creates 20 profiles and goes to five different review websites and just talks shit about that that particular business and is able to hide behind the anonymity of being an online troll in the modern age. If we had it tied to something like Noster where you could actually say, well, who is this person? What's all their other activity? You know, and then if that person also could be rated, because one of the things I love about things like Uber and Lyft is not only or Airbnb or Vibro, not only do I rate my driver or I rate my host if I'm renting a house, they rate me. And so it's a two way thing. I think it would be really, really interesting um, to see what can be done with this. And we're going to need it. We're going to need it because. If I am buying from you with Bitcoin, I have to say I've never really worried about it, but I always tend to know something about the person I'm buying from or the company I'm buying from. It's going to, again, it's going to require less trust on the seller's behalf, which right now the seller's the one placing all the trust because, you know, 99% of transactions or something like that are credit card based. And so the buyer always has that power of pullback, whether it's true or not. I mean, a person literally can go out buy something with their credit card and commit low-level credit card fraud and simply say, I didn't make that charge, and that buyer will always be believed, and they'll just send them a new credit card. And it is a scam, and it happens if people do it. Or you have shit like what goes on with my members. You know, they run and they rat you out to the PayPal people, or they rat you out to the bank on the other side of the transaction for bullshit. I canceled. Where? In your head? Because when I get a cancel request, I immediately cancel a membership. Right. But people think they canceled or they say they canceled. And even if you think you did, why not just tell the person you bought from? Hey, what's up with the charge? They even have people like, hey, man, what's up with the charge? And when I go to fix it, I also find out they already charged it back. So, yeah, I'm all about moving to this new form of payments. But then we need some way to protect buyers based on seller reputation and protect sellers based on buyers reputations as well. If you're a person that routinely buys shit and goes out and trashes the the per- person you bought it from. I don't mean like once in a while because something really sucked. I mean, like, that's just your thing. And there's people that is their thing. I don't want you as a customer. I'd like to be able to look that up and go, I've refunded your money. I don't want you as a customer. I fire customers at least, at least a couple times a month because a, a bad customer is a drain to your business. And a bad customer, every second you try pleasing a bad customer who will never be satisfied, you don't spend doing what I'm doing right now serving your actual customers that want to do business with you. little extra business tip there. Um, next, I want to bring this up. Let me get this up on the screen. I'll play the video. Hopefully, that'll work. I'll have to mute the microphone when I do, because uh, this one has a video in it, and it's about remote work and how much it's costing New York City. So with that, let me make sure I got everything. It looks all like it's working. When I start this, if for any reason you guys can't hear it, let me know in the comments and we'll just move on from there. Take a look at this. Nearly 23% of us say we expect to be working remotely 
by the ne- by the year 2025, nearly 23 percent. That's a big number. Andrew Krapuschetz is the CEO of Red Balloon, and this he knows all about this stuff. Look, Andrew, I can see how workers want to be home working on remote, but I can't see many employers who are going for it. How's it look to you? Yeah, no, we've got this kind of interesting tug of war that's happening right now between workers and the employers, because the employers want people in the office and workers. You know, we learned through the pandemic that, hey, you can be productive for a little bit when you work at home. You don't have the water cooler. You don't have all the distractions. But all of a sudden you find out you're not doing the same collaboration and innovation that you have that you when you're in an office environment. And so because we still have a tight labor market, the job seekers are still in the driver's seat on this. And a lot of them kind of rediscovered their families, rediscovered this work-life balance through COVID, and they don't want to go back. But and if, so if you got if you do have a really high proportion of people working remotely, it, that's kind of bad news for office buildings. They're not going to be full and rents are going to go down. And it's bad news for the cities as well, because most people who work remote outside the cities, they don't want the commute. It's bad news all around for some sectors, isn't it? It really is. And you see places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually paid people to come to their city and move out of the Bay Area and New York and some of these big metro areas. And so now they're there. They're happy. And I think the trend is going to be where employers are going to realize we're in this tug of war and we're going to have to compromise at some level. And so we're going to start to see and we're already seeing today through RedBloom.Work a lot of micro offices where employers are saying, look, I've got a critical mass of employees in Tulsa or Spokane or some of these smaller metros. And that's where I'm going to build a very small office culture rather than this big behemoth in San Francisco or New York. And so that's the trend that we're seeing today where employers are going to have to compromise um, and they're going to have to let employers live their values out loud. And that's obviously what RedBalloon.Work is pushing on. But this is what we're seeing in the market right now is these micro offices where employers have to compromise because they simply can't get everybody back to the large central office. And you're right. It's going to affect rents. It's going to affect uh, kind of that work-life balance because people don't want to go back. And I don't think that trend's going to change anytime soon. Interesting. So I think there's some BS in this, and it's not the second part. It was the first part. This idea that we need to have people in an office together for collaboration and crap like that. We just did a whole thing on how AI is going to wipe out exactly the type of job that these people are talking about right here. And this idea that employers are in this tug of war and they really want their employers. And I think there's a lot of like control level managers that like that shit. They're the, 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 the low level sociopath, right? That gets into management so they can control people. But most managers don't give a shit. They just want the work done. Most companies don't give a shit. They just don't want the work done. It, it is not, in my opinion, the case that companies have this real like moral crisis now about getting employers employees back in the door i don't think they care i think that it is very easy to judge whether or not an employee is producing what you want regardless of whether they do it at home on a computer or in an office on a computer and my view is that um hold on a second i'm just getting rid of people that are annoying today uh anyway um there's actually a lot of employers who really like this arrangement. And that's what he was hitting on toward the end there, the guest. They have figured out that I can get rid of this incredibly expensive building, office space, et cetera, like 
When I used to work with Neil Franklin back when I started this show, what it cost us to maintain our offices. We had the, the like 70% of the fourth floor of a major office building. It was insane. It was the, I guess it was other than, um, if you don't count payroll, right? Payroll and health insurance to be provided to employees. Our third largest expense was the office space itself. And I'm not even talking about like the electric bill. I'm talking about just the, the cost of the office space and the basic maintenance of the office space was huge. So if I can run that whole company and I don't have to pay for that space, why wouldn't I? And if my competitor's doing that, the only way I can become competitive is to do the same thing. So I don't think there's any real tug of war going on here. There are jobs you have to show up to do. If your job is making a thing, you have to show up to make the thing. If it's moving a thing, you have to show up to move the thing. So like warehouse jobs and stuff like that, like those people never were sent home. But remote work is the most efficient thing that either side can do. And what we're really moving, I think, is we're going to see less and less need of a 40-hour week to be the thing is a production work environment. And this is how I've always managed Always I've managed this way. If if you do the things that I need done and I give you timelines, deadlines, goals and agendas and say, do these things for me. And I don't care if it's highly innovative or you're bringing me projects and saying, hey, this is this is our next initiative or it's, you know, cut and dry. I need these things done. Um, if you get it done, I don't care how. If you get it done all the time and I never have to worry and you walk out the door at three o'clock in the afternoon, I don't care. Now, if you walk out the door at three o'clock in the afternoon, I never I better never want for anything as your employer. But if I don't, I don't care. If you hire if it, you go four hour week work week like Tim Ferriss and you hire an assistant from India to do half your job for you, I don't care. I put you in charge of a thing or an aspect or a project. All I care is it gets done. And that's why I'm much happier as a solopreneur when I do need something done. I hire, I give somebody a project, I hire them and I pay them when they're done. And if I can start to operate like that as a business owner, so much the better, so much the better. So I don't think there is this crisis that, that they're making it out to be. I'll tell you where I think this comes from. And it's why I covered this story today. $12 billion is how much this supposedly costs the city of New York. So would it be the case that a city losing $12 billion, and I wonder how much of that is directly related to this and how much is actually related to like people going, yeah, I'm getting the hell out of this place and your crazy COVID restrictions and all your crime and all this other crap, and I'm just, I'm just leaving, right? Um, but do you think that maybe governments might be guilty of creating propaganda campaigns? Do you think that ever happens? Or do you think, no, they wouldn't do that, Jack? Government wouldn't collude with the media to create a narrative that would lead people to believe certain things like, hey, you're better off going to work than staying home and working from home. Anybody that's already done it, it's too late. It's too late. Right. Like you can't convince a person who works from home that they should go back to the office if they're capable of doing their job. It's so much better. I, I did it for a long part of my life because I was in remote sales management so I did a lot of traveling, but I almost never went to the office. When I was a fluke, I went to Seattle once a year, once a year for a bloodletting meeting that was just awful. And I would just look at all those people that worked in that giant building in Seattle and go, 
Oh my God, your life sucks. Your life is just miserable and my life is so much better than yours. So no, you can't keep people who've already experienced freedom from thinking the freedom's bad, but you can keep people who haven't experienced it yet from thinking the freedom's bad. You can keep the bird that's already in the cage from thinking it's safe to go outside the cage, as we all saw fairly well for the last three years. We've seen it my entire life. We've seen it. But the last three years really showcased how easy this is to do to people. You convince them that freedom is dangerous. But no, you're not. You're not going to pull this one off. Um, this brings me to my next question for the day. And let me make sure it is my next question because I have missed some recently. It is. This comes from, oh, I cannot pronounce his email address at all, Jesse. Jesse, and I'm not going to read this whole email because it's long. He says, hi, Jack. Are cities with growing populations, more money being brought in, number of businesses specifically designed to trap for young people? I was going through the 13 stops, episode 3243, stop number three, where do you want to live, and was reminded by a recent trip to Bentonville, Arkansas, home of Walmart, I know it depends on what an individual may want, but a theme of personal mobility or lack thereof from a personal property ownership stood out to me. After talking to someone that lives there, I learned a specifically designed neighborhood that has no roads or parking for cars, only bike paths to get to and from the house. This does not agree with my idea of freedom and mobility or owning a car. There seems to be a big push for riding bicycles to get anywhere, home or work. On the flip side, many cool bike trails around the area, nature trails, parks, of bikes I like. Several new buildings have parking for bikes and even some have ramps to upper stories accessible by the bike and showers at the workplace. Not good to be stinky at work. That's that's a big thing. People have always asked me about biking to work, and I'm like, until you have showers at work, it's not going to happen in Texas. Not, not through the summer. It just isn't going to happen. Uh, and then he goes on to say there's things like, you know, they see things in uh, – in restrooms, like these motivational posters that show old people and you can do it and all. And But is this all kind of like a trap? Uh, it is. It is a trap. And it is totally being done under the, the whole Agenda 2030 thing. And this is not new. And it's been going on a long time. And the basic push is you can make it look however you want. But the end goal is to move as many people as possible in the close quarters with each other because they think that more people living in a more dense settlement is better for resource utilization and hence better for the planet. And I remember back in the nineties, just to kind of date myself and how long this shit's been going on and going to like chamber of commerce meetings. Cause I was part of the Richland uh, chamber of commerce, technology, technology business council, et cetera. This is back during like the days of like leading up to the dot-com boom and all. And, We'd have these people come in and give these talks about, you know, you know, business development is what they were supposed to talk about. What they were really talking about is urban development and these high density cities. And even back then, the goal was we need to return to the type of place where people work downstairs and live upstairs. And if you look at straight use resource utilization, like copper wire to a house, all right, pipes to a house. This actually does make sense because it does drastically reduce resource utilization. If you look at it from an overall health of humans on the planet, though, it does not make sense. You have this massive island of population producing way more waste than it can ever hope to handle and requiring tremendous amounts of inputs from outside. But, yes, it's a trap, and it's, it's, it's all the little bike trails and all these things. That, like 
And you look at it and go, well, that, that part looks cool. And let me put it this way. If I was developing a city from scratch, would I put in things like bike trails? Yes, but I wouldn't take any of the money that's paying for these ones. This money comes with strings attached. This 2030 thing is real. It was Agenda 21, now it's 2030. It's real, and it's way more insidious than you think it is, unless you know the full details about it. This is about changing and controlling districts and zoning to a high degree, to walling people off, to creating a new caste system based on where you live, conjunctive with a social credit score. That's that's the other thing that's going to happen. They're going to have a social credit score that's part of all this living. And the first step is you get all your pieces on the board where you want them. And then you throw the trap. And the way you create a trap for people is actually pretty simple. And it's because they put their own head in the noose and they even tighten it up and then they jump off. And it's exactly it's exactly how this this will work in that if I give you a salary and a set of living conditions, whether that salary is for doing real work or UBI, which will be part of this as well, universal basic income, free welfare for all, right? Whatever amount of money I give you, the average person is going to spend 99% of it. Even if they, you know, even if they save five or 10% of their savings for the future, the few people that do that, it's a minority against the whole. Every other penny will be spent. They will budget their life to their income. So if you get somebody that moves to one of these cities, oh, I go to a bicycle, I ride my bike to work, and I don't have a car payment. They don't take the money that they would have made the car payment with and put it away for their future. So if they ever need a car, they can get one. No, what they do is they spend it. And with inflation and the devaluation of the dollar, they're going to spend it for real. And if you put them all in these cities and you make it all about the experience, man, then they spend it on shit like expensive coffee and avocado toast. So what ends up happening over time, and this happens to people, again, all the time right now, they can't afford to move. How many people here tell me I want to move, but I can't afford it? And and some of you are legitimately kind of stuck, and I get it. And some of you somewhat self-did it, and some of you... There's a way out, but it's uncomfortable. But most people, it's it's just the trap. I've built my life on my income, and then I added some debt to it because what could go wrong? And the answer is everything. And then they're trapped. So they don't really have to build a trap. They just have to build an environment that they want you to live in, attract you to it, and then economics will trap you. The economic... Uh, equation because we don't teach people that there's a value in saving. We don't teach people that there's a value in, in fact, if you think about it, like when I grew up, it was all about you should work so hard you have a surplus and then you should save your money and don't go into debt. I mean, that was standard advice you would have gotten from any adult in the 1980s, especially if you're talking to like your grandparents or your you know, your great uncles or your older uncles or things like that. Yeah, stay out of debt, kid, you know, stuff like that. Now we literally have the media arm and the education arm asserting that people that save their money are hoarding money that could be doing something better if they weren't hoarding it. 
in fact, one of the entire components of this UBI combined with central bank digital currency is, yes, I will say that, well, so somebody is going away and gone. All right. So um, we can we can totally say that we're going to give Hangin' Laundry, who's commenting right here, uh, $1,000 UBI every month. Hangin' Laundry, guess what? You qualify for the new UBI program. You're going to get $1,000 a month to pay for your basic needs. No strings attached. That's how UBI is being marketed right now. No strings attached. And the UBI that's done these little test cases, there is no strings attached for now. But with the central bank digital currency, I can easily code that and say, well, we did say your living expenses. So you can pay rent and you can buy food, the kind of food we say. And since steaks are bad for the environment, you can only use the money to buy two steaks a month. And they can create an entire carbon footprint that goes with this and say it's no strings attached, except if you spend money on these things, then they count against your allowance. and You have to spend it other ways. And then this is the big one. This is the big one. And this is where I was coming from with this whole surplus is bad. Okay. If you don't spend it within, let's say, 60 days, it just disappears. It goes away because you're wasting it. Why would you save it? If you saved it, you didn't really need it. So then you get all these people living in this environment where they can ride their bikes everywhere and they don't have a car and they're spending all of their income and you get them on a central bank digital currency, right? See, and Joe says, sweet, $1,000 worth of Bitcoin a month. It won't work for that. They won't let you spend it on it. it. That's what I'm saying. They can control where you spend it. Now, Joe's probably a smart guy. And he's thinking what I am. You give me that thousand bucks. I guarantee you the stuff that money's approved for, I guarantee you I can spend it on that stuff. And then I won't have to spend my money on that stuff. So I'll go, but they'll try to figure out how to close that. But that's, they don't have to worry about that because most people are just going to spend all the freaking money. So now you get them into these high density city settlements. You get them zoned into their little area. You get a social credit score and an allowance on top of what they can spend their money on. And then you say, you know what, Dodo Bird? You're a bad boy. Dodo Bird's a person. That's his handle in the chat right now. You're a bad boy. You put something on on Twitter we don't like. We don't like what you did. So we're going we're gonna to turn off your UBI now. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to be cast down into the other ghetto within the city settlement, off with the other refuse, and you'll do whatever crappy-ass jobs you have to because you can't afford to get out. This is this, And I'm not saying it will all work. This is the vision they have. We will make people behave properly because we'll incentivize them to behave properly, which it, if you think about it, that doesn't sound so terrible, does it? Like, isn't that what society in general does? And I'm not talking about government, just society in general. Like, you, you have community in general does. Let's say you have a church, and your church has certain things that it says are okay, and certain things that it says are not okay. And if somebody's living openly in opposition to that, they'll be counseled, and then eventually they'll be told, you know what? You know what? That's great. Go in peace, but not here. One sec. Right? Or they'll, they'll go to a bar. 
You know, I, I used to throw people out of bars. It was a side hustle for me for a while back when I was in my 20s and liked physical confrontation. Right? Like, there's no calling the police. There's no state involvement. Some dude walks up through a crowd, and I've seen it happen more times than you could believe. And for no reason at all, without knowing the other person, grabs a woman's ass. But buddy, out the door. We're incentivizing proper behavior. The owner of the establishment said, it is not okay for you to put your hands on another person if they don't want you to. And doing it assuming that they wanted you to, with them not even seeing you do it, results in somebody like me throwing you the hell out. Right. So that whole thing works in a, in a self-organized society. But think about what happens when a government with unlimited power to tax, print money and create new laws and regulations comes up with its own version of what proper behavior is and then has something like this to enforce it. And do not think for one second that this is not the plan and that there's many people that are on board with the plan. But they're on board with the plan, a lot like some of the, the, the Native American tribes were when they first started dealing with the Europeans. They actually looked at Europeans and said, these guys aren't as smart as they think they are. And there's actually a lot more of us than them. And think about when, when, they, when, when Europeans first came here to settle and you've got a couple hundred people in a little settlement and thousands and thousands of natives, they could have wiped them out, Right. But they thought, oh, we can control this. And that's not here or there about that, except just to understand that mindset is innately human. Humans always think we can control this. So there's a lot of people that are in this proper behavior, which is what the WEF is. It's basically incentivized capitalism, right? Socialized capitalism. Right. Is what they're calling it. And what it really is, is socialism. But what it is, is we're, we're going to say, here's the things that a company should do. Corporate governance should work this way. So we'll let you in the club if you follow the rules. We'll just add a little bit of you know, government to that. And, we'll, and that's the whole plan. Right. Is to tie the government into this. Because I don't really care what anybody does. If it's 100 percent in absence of government. You have no enforcement mechanism, and if somebody wants to be part of your shit, they can, and if they don't want to, they don't have to. I'm No matter how much I disagree with you, unless you're like, you know, pimping out children or, you know, some kind of pedophilia crap or something like that. Like, if, if, what I'm saying is if adults are choosing to voluntarily be part of what you're doing, I don't care if you guys sit around and smoke dope all day. As long as you don't steal from other people, I don't care. But when you start adding government to this, this gets incredibly dangerous. And if the type of technology we have today existed in Germany in 1938, there might not be a Jewish person alive on the planet today. That's something to let sink in. I'm not saying it's going to be the same. I'm going to say the results could be equally or, or more horrifying when we have a system like this. If you've ever watched uh, Black Mirror, there's an episode on social credit scores. Go watch that if you haven't. Holy crap, it's exactly what they're trying to do. They already have this in places like China. And they even have a caste system there that, like, people rely a lot more on public transportation than we do because they're so much more enlightened than us. But if you are on the outs, you have to ride the shitty train instead of the good train. 
right? There was a dude, I can't remember his name. I covered him on the air, though. But he was a, a, a martial artist, and he basically said that all of these, uh, these like, kung fu masters and stuff in China were all bullshit. And this dude was not, like, a super badass mixed martial artist. I can't remember his name now. But he basically started challenging these, you know, masters to a fight, a real fight in a ring. We're doing all their little woo-woo shit didn't really work. And he just put on some gloves one another and just beat the crap out of them. And it was it was so bad that you would you would see like this guy get hit, and you could tell you could tell when a person gets hit and they've never really been hit in their life. There's a certain look they have on their face. And you could see that on some of these guys when they really got like, ash. this guy's a martial arts master, right? And nobody ever really punched him in the face. I don't care how good you are. You spar for real. You get punched in the face. You get kicked in the stomach. It happens, right? Or you're not actually sparring. You're playing around. You're doing pantomime crap. So they decided this guy was, was, was bad for morale and bad for tradition. So they wanted him to lose fights on purpose and to apologize. Well, he wouldn't do it. And he ended up like having to like dress like a clown when he fought and uh, ride the shitty bus and ride the shitty train. And they like just ruined this guy's life. And all he was pointing out was these people are saying they have an answer. I don't think they do. And his whole goal was actually to reform this whole system and say, look, if you guys want to like train and do all this stuff, then. And if it's about form and kata and stuff, then fine. But say that. Don't make it out like you're this uh, super warrior when I'm like a third-rate, beat-up, retired MMA guy, and you can't beat me. Okay, you might think that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what I'm talking about. Because the system I'm talking about that they're engineering and building right now here in America isn't even as good that the one in China isn't even as bolted together as well as this one will be. This will be the ultimate system of human control. And it revolves around these smart, small cities with large populations. That is the entire goal. And I do think people like us that live outside of that system will be kind of left to ourselves because Psychopaths are smart about choosing their battles, and it's it's too much work to try to get somebody like me to move off my little three-acre homestead out in the county. It's too much work. You just wait for me to die, and they know for every person like me that's raising their kids and grandkids to be like me, 10% of us will succeed. So whatever's left out here, in their minds anyway, will attrit at 90% a generation. So why go fight that? Like because the, and they actually believe that people will really want what they have. They actually think they're doing the right thing. They actually think this is good because they all are into that same misconception. We can control this because within the cooperative of this whole movement, there's different factions. There's some that are totally not okay with the kind of shit I'm telling you they're going to do. But they think, well, we are the majority in the consortium. We won't let that happen. We can control this. And the ones that want to do it think, oh, but when people see how much better their lives are, they'll want it. And we can control this. But let's just add a little artificial intelligence to this, right? 
Let's add a computer making decisions or even worse than a computer making decisions. Let's add the illusion of a computer making decisions. Let's create an AI like ChatGPT where we train it to do the things that we want. And we train it to always say the things that the people behind it actually want it to say. It might be very, very convincing, but go ask ChatGPT to say something nice about Donald Trump. And you'll see what a bunch of load of crap it is immediately. And then go back and it'll say something like, it's not appropriate for me to comment on that as an artificial intelligence, blah, 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 blah. And then ask them to do it about Joe Biden. It just pukes it all over you. Now, I'm not actually attacking ChatGPT here. I'm making the point that we can create something that seems very much like an artificial intelligence, very much like a neutral party that's just making the best decision for everyone, but we can already predetermine the outcome. So we can sell people on this whole thing. We're going to sell them on CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, and we're going to do that by saying very simply, well, we don't want people abusing their welfare payments. You don't want that, do you? You don't want people spend, you know, selling their food stamps to some guy on a back alley so they can buy dope with it, do you? Right? You don't want that. And all the Republicans go, yeah! You know, you don't want, you don't want illegal, you know, instead of worrying about illegal aliens taking your jobs, what if you just couldn't get paid in the payroll system with, with central bank digital currencies unless you were here permitted to work? So you could sell this to the right, and again, you don't have to sell it to the left. The left will lay down and take anything government gives them at this point. The left is done. The left is crap. The left is garbage at this point. And if you're one of those people, it's not the left. There's many of us on the left. We don't. Okay, you're not on the left anymore. You think you are. What you mean is you don't like conservatives. Join the club. Okay? That's what you mean. The left left you, and you can't accept it yet. You're not a leftist. You're some sort of centrist that thinks you're a leftist because you've been polarized with hypnotism that all the Republicans are fascists, right? When you don't understand, your whole government is fascist. This is a fascist state that we live in. It literally is the textbook definition of a fascist state. When government and corporations collude with each other to advance both, you have fascism. That's an economics 101 definition of fascism. Fascism is not a bunch of guys with swastikas putting people in concentration camps. That's something a fascist state did. And many other fascist states didn't do that thing, right? Fascism is a system of economics. I had this discussion one time with a leftist permaculturist who I actually respect his work a great deal. And he said, fascism isn't a system of economics, man. Fascism is a system of controlling humans, And I said, what is a better way to control humans than with economics? He got very angry and walked away. Because there's no answer to that question other than, well, you're right. And he didn't want to be wrong. So that's where we are. And that's where this is all going. And we have got to be prepared for it from a standpoint of building our own lives. That's why I'm doing things like the, 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 you know, talking about biochar is kind of a new initiative for our community. We need ways to create our own value. Currency, I don't care what it is, gold, silver, space credits, U.S. dollars, shit coins, uh, central bank digital currencies. I don't care what they are. Stones with holes in them, seashells, beads, polished turds. I don't care what you use as money. 
Money only has value that it derives from the economy that it circulates in. Money is an agreement. We agree to use this form of accounting, this form of ledger to account for the exchange of things. You know, I have a couple of rifles behind me here. If you want one and I want to sell it to you, you're buying the value in the gun. And I am saying I don't need the gun anymore. I'll take this form of money, but I believe that it's storing the value that I had in the gun until I go do something else with it. And so if we're going to build a parallel economy and do all these wonderful things that everybody always talks about, we have to develop value. And I don't mean value as in you're a nice person. That's great. You know, or you tell a good story. That story has a certain amount of value, but it, it only is that you have to have something that another person wants. And if everybody makes the same thing, then there's no economy of scale. There's no exchange. It's great that people can make comfrey salve. But once you know how to do it, you know, unless you just don't want to do it, there's a limited market for it, right? Yeah? Because it's not that hard. You can grow comfrey in your backyard. You can throw it in some olive oil or some pork fat. You can put it in a mini crock pot, turn it on low, leave it there for 12 hours, strain it off, mix it with some beeswax. You made comfrey salve. You can put, throw freaking chickweed in there. You can throw other calendula, what have you. You can do that all yourself. That's a great skill to have. Some people will do that, and they will make good money doing it. They will be the minority of people who do it, though. And if everybody on your street does it, who are you going to sell it to? So we need diversity of value. And if we don't have it, we are truly screwed. And you have to look at the total direction that the country's going in right now. And this is pretty interesting. I want to, I want to pull this up because I want to make sure I read it as it was written. So Marjorie Taylor Greene who's a large mouthpiece from the Republican Party. And I, I, I'm pretty neutral on, on Marjorie Green. Like, I don't hate her and I don't love her. Like, she's a very polarizing personality. People are like, oh, my God, she's amazing. MAGA, MAGA. And the other people, she's a disgusting conservative that wants to kill all gay people. Like, AOC said she had threatened to kill her or some stupid shit. Like, I... I'm sorry, no, I, I don't buy into any of this crap at all. Um, I I think picking your picking your politician is a game for children, but I do pay attention to what they say from time to time. Get this. Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted this this morning. We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this, from the sick, disgusting, woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies, we are done. Now, do I think this means, because somebody, a lot of people post, it's happening, it's happening, the Ron Paul gif or whatever. No, no, I don't think this means much of anything other than it is kind of a temperature test as to how things are going. So I think Marjorie Green loves attention. And I think Marjorie Green has a plan to very different person before I say this, but Marjorie Green's long-term plan is the same as Tulsi Gabbard's. Tulsi Gabbard is a person that really found that she didn't really enjoy being in the government. She became very outspoken, very contrarian, even to her own party. And she now is a media personality with a great income for the rest of her life. Yeah. I think that's what Marjorie Green is angling for. Right. That, that's 
That's what she's angling for. She's not the conservatives, Bernie Sanders. Mark my words, one or two election cycles, and Marjorie Green will be working at Fox News, not Washington, D.C. That, that's, that's, it's so easy to be deceived, Jeremy, who's, who's making this. He says she's the new Tea Party movement. She's the conservative Bernie Sanders. No, she's, she's angling for a job. She's angling for a media position. Doesn't really care for government. That, that's what I see here. What's interesting to me, though, is that this would even be said right now. And it had something like 30 million, 30 million views already. It was this morning, 30 million. It actually got the attention she was seeking, probably more than she ever thought it would. Like it's a home run attention seeking movement. Where do you think people's mindset is? And I didn't know this was going to happen when I did the poll this last week where I said, what state would you kick out? I also find it interesting when I'm starting to hear more and more talk about this on the left. And the left is saying, you red states can't afford it. We pay for all your shit. And I'm starting to see some people wise up about this red state, blue state crap. It's There are no blue states. There are blue areas and red areas. And there's a lot more red than blue. Even in states like New York. Dyed in the wool, blue state. Go pull up an election map by district. And you're going to see a lot more red than blue. And this is what the leftists are so now divorced from reality. And I'm not even talking about Democrats. I'm saying leftists, which are the product of your university system, is leftists. That's their job now. Their job used to be to educate, to challenge belief systems, to build people into folks that could go out and run careers. They're now tasked with our university system. I believe this 100 percent. I'm not kidding. Are tasked with creating leftists, not Democrats, not liberals, full on leftists with a side of debauchery installed into them. Because if you think that it is okay to talk to a six year old about your genitals as an adult in a kindergarten or first grade classroom, I don't know why you're listening to my show. But if I ever meet you in person, I'm probably going to punch you in the mouth. That is debauchery. That is a sickness. You do not need to be around other people, and you certainly don't need to be around children. And this is what we're instructing these people with. This is what we're doing. And these people, because they are so disconnected from reality, when you can't even with confidence say a woman is an adult female human when you're asked that question, you are not in touch with reality. What they don't know, they're not Stalinists. The Stalinists had more sense than these people. The Maoists had more sense than these people. These people are like stupid Stalinists. The Stalinists were horrible people, but they were competent. That's what CJ and I talked about two weeks ago. They were competent in doing the thing that they did. These people aren't even competent. And because they're disconnected from reality, right? If you had asked a Stalinist, what's a woman, they would have given you an answer. If you asked a Maoist what a woman is, they would have given you an answer. They wouldn't be applying for the job of being a Supreme Court Justice of the United States, be asked by a sitting senator, can you define woman for me, and answered with, well, I'm not a biologist. That would have never happened. Do you see what I'm saying? And because they're that disconnected from reality, they're disconnected from the reality of the map as well. Look at those maps. Look where all that red is. That's the people that build all your stuff. That's the people that grow 
all your food. That's the people that drive trucks that transport all your food. That's the people that operate trains that transport all your food. That's the people that unload ships that bring you all your stuff and your food. That's where they live. The people that do all the things that make your life livable live in those red zones. This isn't conservative Republican versus liberal Democrat who's better. This is reality. And I define, I defy anybody to prove this wrong. Now you might say, look, this is a blue zone and these people, okay, yeah, yeah. By the preponderance, as in where the manufacturing happens and the people that actually work in manufacturing live, it's red. Where the food is actually grown, it's red. Where the food is harvested, it's red. Where the food is shipped from, it's red. The only blue place is the whole foods that the, the leftist goes and buys it at. And they're disconnected with the process of how it gets there. And this is their problem with all their smart cities and stuff like that, okay? You can't do it in a city. All this shit about vertical farms and rooftop growing and all, I think it's all good and we should do it. It will A city will never feed itself. That kind of city will never, ever, ever infinity feed itself. It will never power itself and it will never manufacture sufficiently to meet its own demand. It will never happen. It will never happen. It will never happen. And this is why the whole secession talk gets a lot of talk but not a lot of action. If you are a leftist in this country, the best thing you could hope for in your lifetime would be Florida forms a coalition with Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, and secedes from the Union. If you only care about political power, you'd be behind it. You'd, you'd be colluding with DeSantis and Abbott going, come on, guys. Come on. Get going. If you're if you're Gavin Newsom and you want to be president of this country, because he does, you'd be that would be your dream. Why? You'd never have a Republican president in this country again. You take the greater southeast out of the United States. You don't. But what else don't you have? Oil and oil refinery and natural gas from Texas. All of Florida's tax dollars they put in from tourism. All the citrus and all the food that they grow. All the ports, Jacksonville, Tampa, Miami, right? All the ports along the Gulf Coast, all the way down the southern coast of Texas. It's a tremendous amount of production that comes out of that zone. Tremendous amount. And we have our islands of blue, don't we? New Orleans is blue as hell. Dallas is blue. About the only big city that isn't blue that I know of in that whole area now is... Fort Worth. Fort Worth is red. They don't need oil. They have Teslas and Priuses. And with a big smile there, Renegade Butcher says, yeah, see? And th but this is the thing. Renegade Butcher's making a sarcastic statement. They don't need oil. They have Teslas and Priuses. But see, they think that way. They don't understand where their electricity comes from. It all comes from a windmill. What we're going to do is we're going to hook up like these remote control things with, with propellers on them. And when the whales swim through the water, they'll generate power and transmit it. Like that, we'll have a jelly bean field where all our electricity will come from. They don't get it. People that pay five bucks for avocado toast, instead of toasting a piece of bread and smearing avocado on themselves, are not in connection with reality. They're not. And this is where this is all going.
And it does all tie together. And when you start having, even though I think it was totally an attention-seeking behavior, a sitting member of Congress openly calling for secession, and if you want to get a good laugh today, go, go look that tweet up. I'll have a link in the notes. And read the liberal responses to it. You'd think they could work it out. You know what? Maybe we should do that. We could have everything our way then. Wouldn't it be an interesting thing to take the country and actually, you know, split it in half and say this country is going to go kind of the conservative route and this country is going to go this going to go the kind of leftist route and then create an exchange program for people? Like you put in like this is the value of my house. This is how much land I have, how many bedrooms I have, whatever. Right. This is the kind of climate I'm in. And then you could just have like exchanges. That's how people would handle the move. Like you give people a couple of years like. You can just go to this state and they'll come here and you just swap. You can stay. You'll, maybe you'll be unhappy, but you can stay. But if you want to leave, we'll just create a way. And then let's see. Let's see what works better. Let's see if endless spending, right, endless taxing works better than a, an approach of saying, let's let the market market. Because neither one of them live up to their shit, but there is a divide, especially in the people themselves into the philosophy. Hunter says, I think it would turn out as East and West Germany. It's, you know, this is the thing. We don't have to do this experiment. Pull up a satellite, a nighttime satellite image of the Korean peninsula. Look at North Korea. Look at South Korea and where the lights are on. Right. Or look at like like Hunter is saying. East, West Germany. How many people braved being machine gunned down? To go to the Soviet side of, of, of Berlin. How many people risked their lives to get to East Germany? Right? How many people risked their lives to get to West Germany? We already know the answer to this stuff. Korea is so bad that people escape into China. You understand that? They run, like, there are people that are willing to go to China for more freedom. They pretty much live in one place. North Korea. It, and, and so I don't know, guys, like CJ Kilmer kind of got in my head on that show. I was all stuff I knew and agreed with, but I'm seeing us move more and more toward a potential break apart, some sort of divorce. And I don't think it's because Marjorie Teller Green said it. I really don't. But I think the fact that she said it is telling. And the fact that there was so much response to it was actually very telling anyway with that i think i am wrapped up i want to remind you guys you can help support this show and the work that we do anytime you shop online you can just start your shopping at tspaz.com if you start your shopping at tspaz.com you help support us no matter what you buy and uh, you find the stuff that i reviewed and i own it i spent my money on it and i do it again or i wouldn't recommend that you buy it that's how it's always been it always will be that way Today's item of the day is for my favorite value brand of electronics, Anchor Soundcore Waterproof Bluetooth Speaker Item of the Day. This thing is Bluetooth. I took one in the shower just to make sure, and so it got plenty wet. I've left them out in the rain and forgot about them. I don't advise it, but it was fine. Haven't thrown one in the pool yet. Maybe I should just to see because it's IPX7 waterproof. That means it can be underwater and still safe uh, and not die. My wife actually drove over one of these with her Subaru out back. I don't advise that either, but it did survive. 
The big thing is they have great sound. You can get two of them, and they pair with each other for stereo sound. I use these out in my back shop building kind of as my sound system out there when I'm working in the back shop because I have a really great sound system in my front shop, but my back one, no, and I'm not going to spend the money. These things are 30 bucks a piece. They're normally 40 They're on sale 25% off today. Uh, you get two of them for 60 bucks. They can work independently or together, and they just work every time. Uh, I also have a link in the write-up today where you can always find anchors, like deals of the day and stuff like that. This is my company. Whenever I'm going to buy anything like what they sell, you know, USB chargers, cables, battery backup packs, uh, Bluetooth stuff, I always go with Anchor first. And the reason I do is very simple. I've sold, no exaggeration, tens of thousands of items that are reviewed on T-SPAS. Like, it's not 10,000 items reviewed, you know, like maybe 50 items. I've sold tens of thousands of units. Zero complaints. I've had a few people, you know, I got this and it didn't work or whatever. I'm like, well, did you contact them? Did you contact them? Yeah. Okay. You contacted them. What did they do? They fixed it. Okay. That's only thing I've ever heard. You know, I had something broken in the mail or whatever. Would they fix it? Yeah. That's badass, guys. Let's see if I can take a few Q&As before we go now. But remember, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspass.com. Adventure Frog said, did we talk about chemtrails last week and I missed it? That might be one I missed as well. I'll give you my short, sweet, Jack Spiracle response to chemtrails right now. They do spray to alter the climate, and it does happen. Most of the shit that people post and say, look at the chemtrails, are contrails. It's not new. It's not different. I remember seeing this stuff all the time when I was a kid. We used to live in Jacksonville near the Naval Air Station. And there's certain days when the conditions are right that the contrails last longer. That's mostly what's being seen. But they have openly admitted to doing these things with aerosols and stuff like that. But if you think the Delta 737 going to Atlanta with your Aunt Edna on it is spraying chemtrails, while a commercial pilot has 200 people in the aircraft, I think you need to like loosen up the tinfoil hat a little bit. So that's the short version, since we're not doing a whole show on it today. Courtney said, when signing up for a crypto wallet and setting private keys to DCA and a Bitcoin, are there basic digital security steps to take? I'm worried about spyware keystroke, but are there other precautions? You do have to make sure that you have good procedures on your own device. But your biggest thing to do is make sure you download your wallet from the, the website of the actual wallet provider. You're not signing up for a wallet. If it's an account, it's not a wallet. It's a brokerage account like Coinbase. If it's a wallet, there is no account. You're not signing up for it. You're just using a piece of software. Please understand that. The biggest thing you can do, never, ever, never, ever, never, never put your passphrase, your 12-word, you know, 18-word, whatever it is to the wallet you're using, never put it in electronic format, ever. Write it down. And then put it somewhere where it can be permanent. Um, that's a bit of an involved question for today's show, especially since we're not talking about crypto today. Uh, maybe we'll include it in a Bitcoin breakout. I'm thinking about doing one tomorrow, even though I don't have a guess for it. Uh, Christopher says, what's the lever action behind you? Well, it's a, well there goes the Mossberg. <laughs> it is a 357 Magnum. Lever action Marlin circa about 1978. 
uh, old school without the cross bolt safety and the half cock. And it was given to me by this community at my 10th anniversary, which is a great opportunity for me to tell you something. We will be having a 15-year anniversary party this year. I don't know exactly where it's going to be yet or what the details are, but it will be sometime this summer. It will be awesome, 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 because we are turning 15 on June 20th. That doesn't mean that we'll do the party on June 20th. We may do it earlier or later in the year. June is pretty much the time of year where you come to this state to boil in your own skin. So I don't know exactly when or how we'll do that, but we're going to do something. Um Zach says, hello, Jack. Have you heard of Adapt2030? Yeah, I'm aware of his YouTube channel. I really like some of the things he does and some other stuff. I think it's – I'll just let it go you know, if you can't say something nice. I like some of his stuff. Uh, Zach also says, any tips or common mistakes newbie urban vegetable producers make? That's a really open-ended question for the end of a show like this. Um I think the biggest mistake people make is going too big too fast before they get it right. And so you need to take your time in developing your systems and put in a couple of grow beds and really get good at it. And then once you know what works for you, then you can expand as much as you like. Uh, I think also underestimating workload and underestimating how difficult it is when you get started. Those are the best ones I can give you for right now. Patrick says, can I use Kingsford hardwood charcoal for biochar? Maybe I wouldn't advise it, though. And and the reason is that any manufacturer of any product is going to use the minimal amount of energy and time necessary to manufacture the product for its intended purpose. What is the purpose of Kingsford lump charcoal? It is to be put in your grill and burned. So, it's not going to be pyrolyzed to the extent because it's done in a very controlled process, right? This is an industrial process. And as soon as it's enough, you're going to stop. You get it, right? As soon as you have gotten to the point that's enough, you're going to stop. So I'm, I've never tried it, but I'm going to bet if you go get a bag of Kingsford lump charcoal and you take the charcoal out and you like rub your hands with it and you get your hands all dirty. And you go rinse your hands in clean water with no soap, you're going to have a hard time getting them clean. And that's because there's a lot of volatiles and things still, residues still in the charcoal that weren't driven off the way we do with the biochar process. So that would be my main reason for saying not to. My other reason is it's actually pretty easy to make. I mean, you can make it by digging a hole, a pit in the ground with 60 degree angles and burning wood in the ground. So I think it's just way easier to use the right thing for the right job. Uh, Packrat says, how do you think they will confiscate the property eventually? You will own nesting and you will be happy. Um, I don't think they'll confiscate the property in this country. I think it's too complicated. I think they'll do what I said they'll do. They'll use an attrition war. Um, they will take the approach of people like, the, see, this is the thing that the left is better at than the right. When you ask me like, is there anything that the left does better than the right? The number one thing is they think long-term. They think very, very long-term. They don't think about it when we say like seventh generation thinking in the way that we mean it in like what will really be better for future generations. They think they do, but they don't. But what they, they're good at politically is if we have a thing we can set in motion now, we might still keep hammering on it in Congress or in the executive branch or whatever. 
But if we can put it in motion and it will give us the result we want in 20 years, that's okay. If we can accelerate it, we will. But if we can't, that's okay. That's why they own the educational sphere, because they made a conscious decision to do that over 70 years ago. And it took it took them 20 years to get control. And it took them another 20 years to get total control at the university level. And it took them another 20 years to get total control at the K-12 level. And they have complete control of the education system now. And I don't care that you're going to email at me and tell me, well, my local school is really good and it's good, strong conservatives. They're still using the same curriculum. Maybe it's not as bad, but it's still terrible. They have complete control from kindergarten to doctorate programs. They have complete dominance of the education system because they know where everything is headed is based on the next generation and the one after that. So if you take over programming the mind of the children, you don't have to worry about controlling things economically or politically because they'll give it to you because they've been trained to do so. So here's an example. We had some folks over here recently for a little workshop we did on composting. We had a chicken that wanted to be broody. I didn't want the chicken in the chicken house because we were we were working in there and I was afraid the chicken's going to get hurt or something's going to go on. So all I do is I turn to my dog, Charlie, and I don't give him a command. I just say, Charlie, I don't want that chicken in this area. I want it on the other side of the fence. And for about an hour, every time that chicken came back, that dog ran that chicken off. Never heard it. Handle it like a little cutting horse handling a cow, man. Back and forth. You're not getting there. Out you go. Everybody stood around, looked, and were awed that that dog behaved that way. I looked at it with no surprise whatsoever because I trained the dog into that behavior. So if you condition and train kids from the time they're in kindergarten to 12th grade and beyond to behave a certain way, they're going to. They're going to. The schools are leftist factories at this point. They stamp out leftists. Now, there's enough human spirit in some people that they won't gain control of everybody. They don't have to. If they can spit out 60% in their mold, in our system of governance, they have total control in a generation or two. And it's been going on for a full generation now. And we're this close to them having complete and total control of everything. It takes one bad election, and they all suck, but it takes one bad election. You're going to get D.C. as a state. You're going to get Puerto Rico as a state. You're going to eliminate the filibuster. And it's and then they have everything. And maybe a couple more seats on the Supreme Court. That's all it will take. That's all it will take. And that's the plan. And so they're not going to confiscate the land. They're going to leave us out here to rot. They've already telegraphed this. Their little story about eating the bugs and being happy and owning nothing and being happy, right? They, they talk about the people that never moved and they worry about them and what will become of them. Well, what will become of us is old, old farts like me will die and only a percentage of our children will stay living our life. And each generation, I don't think it will be the 90% they're betting on, 
but a certain segment will move into their little hell holes. And don't think they can't pull this off. I, I am fighting against it with everything I have. I think the more people I wake up to it coming, the less seduced you'll be by it. I think there's a lot of people that go, oh, it looks so bad. But if somebody told you it was going to happen 10, 20 years before it did, you might be a little like, oh, wait a minute. I was told this was going to happen. My guy, I thought it was a nut. He calls himself a redneck hippie duck farmer, but he was right about this, and he said that it would be bad. Maybe he's right about that, too. I don't know. Humanity's history is a story of these empires rising and falling, tyrannies rising and falling. You can vote yourself into a tyranny, but you have to shoot your way out of it. And sometimes shooting isn't guns. Sometimes there's other forms of rebellion, but you're going to have to rebel your way out of this. It is not going to happen peacefully or easily or through elections. We're way past that. I, I, I think it's it's kind of scary to me, and I need to wrap up here. It's kind of scary to me that people don't understand how far we're, we're gone. There's, there's still this mindset, and especially people my age and older and a little younger, let's say 40 to 70, we grew up when we still had black, even if it was color TV when you were a kid, you still had black and white TV shows. Both in, they were actually black and white, like old reruns of like McHale's Navy or something like that. But they were also black and white in that good was good and bad was bad. There was a clear line and we were always the good guys. And so you have this, and that programming went into your young brain. You didn't know it was programming, even though they called it programming. When your mom was telling you, don't sit too close to the TV because it'll burn your eyes out. It wasn't going to burn your eyes out, but it was going to burn your brain out. And so there's this hope. There's this hope in the Constitution. There's this hope in a republic. And so you don't look at the reality. I see here rat patrol. I thought it said rot. That's what it really is. It's rot. It's rot. It's moral Rot. And I am not a prude, and you guys know that. I'm not right-wing religious. You guys know that. But there is a moral decay in this country that is abhorrent. Things that are happening right now that are on TV and glorified would have resulted in somebody getting the living shit beat out of them in the average public space 10 years ago. Not 50 years ago. Not when your grandparents were kids. 10 years ago. Ten years ago, if a dude dressed like a woman got out in a public place and put his junk in a child's face, 12 dudes would have grabbed his ass and beat the crap out of him. And the cops mostly would have come and said, maybe you should put your junk in a kid's face. Once you go to here, for these people, there's no turning back. One of the keys to brainwashing a person is to get them to do something really horrible in the name of the thing you've told them they need to defend. And if they go horrible enough, they will never accept that it was done without purpose and without the end being a greater good. It's in a movie. We've all seen the movies. Star Wars. That's the turn to the dark side. That once you've done these horrible things, once you've slaughtered the younglings, it had to be for the right reason. Or you have to live with the fact that you did it for the wrong reason. And you can't come back. I know in the movie they come back, but what did I just tell you? Life ain't like the movies. Here in the real world, country song, 
here in the real world, right? George Strait, I think. Here in the real world, the good guy doesn't always win and the hero doesn't always get the girl. Not here in the real world. We have slid so far into the darkness. We cannot pull the people that are there out. All we can do is go live our lives. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way. Let me show you a better way